is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so last Sunday we started a, uh, a new series called Why? And so we looked at, we began looking at the subject of worship and why worship was our, uh, our title for last week. And we looked at the importance of having Jesus at the very center uh, of our lives. And to summarize what we said last week, if you missed it, you can download it from the website if you wish. But to summarize it very quickly, we looked, we said this. Number one, we worship because the Bible tells us to. How many of you know that if the Bible says that we should do something, it's a good idea? Amen. So the Bible instructs us to worship God. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It was Jesus' remembrance of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. Seems like a pretty good instruction for our lives as well, doesn't it? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Secondly, we worship God because he is worthy of our praise. Do you agree? He is worthy of our praise. Yes, something happens in us when we worship. But let's be clear, really clear about it. Worship is about Jesus. It's not about you or me. It's about him. Amen? So we worship God because he is worthy of our praise. We want to thank him for all that he's done for us. Number three, we worship God because it's what we were made for. Right from very earliest times, Men and women have wanted to worship something or someone. And there's no surprise there because we were created by like that. God created us with a capacity, actually with a desire to worship. So it's no surprise that we want to. You were made to worship. You are a worshiper. You were made to worship. We're all worshippers. The question is not, are you a worshiper? The question is, what or who are you worshipping? Is it the living God or is it something else? And number four, we worship God because we become like that which we worship. G.K. Beale's great book, We Become What We Worship, gives us an example of what will happen there. So that's why worship is such a foundational issue. So you become like, you take on something of that which you worship. And I'd imagine that most of us here this morning want to become more like Jesus. Do you? Well, I do, and I'm guessing most of you do too. And as you worship him, as you look to the Lord, you take on something of his character, his goodness, his mercy, his grace. You become like that which you worship. So if you worship Jesus, you begin to become more like him. And that's about as far as we got last week. But to be fair, it took me longer to say it. But that's the summary. So this morning, we're going to continue our theme of why worship. And uh, we're going to take that as a starting point, And uh, we're going to keep going from there. So shall we pray? And uh, then we'll see what God has for us. Okay? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you have welcomed us into your presence. And uh, we pray now, Lord, in these moments as we look at your word together, that, Jesus, you would speak to us. Would you come and be our teacher? Would you help us understand what Scripture says, that we might um, become more like you as we worship you? 
and that, Lord, you might captivate our hearts afresh today as we see you revealed in your words. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's continue then with this idea of you become like that which you worship. Now, I know that all of life is worship. Everything we do, we can do unto the Lord, can't we? We'll come back to that in a moment. But right now, I'm talking about heartfelt, conscious worship. I think I've quoted N.C. right before, but it's a good quote, and I'm going to use it again, because I think he sums up what we're looking at here. He says this, This brings us to the first of two golden rules at the heart of spirituality. You become what you worship he says when you gaze in awe admiration and wonder at something or someone you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship those who worship money become eventually human calculating machines those who worship sex become obsessed with their own attractiveness or prowess those who worship power become more and more ruthless So what happens when you worship the creator God whose plan to rescue the world and put it to rights has been accomplished by the lamb who was slain? The answer, he says, comes in the second golden rule, as he puts it. Because you were made in God's image, worship makes you more truly human. When you gaze in love and gratitude at the God in whose image you were made, you do indeed grow. You discover more of what it means to be fully alive. How many of you want to be more fully alive? (laughs) Now, we don't worship God in order that we might become more fully alive in some self-centered way. We worship God because he is worthy. But because of God's goodness, because of his grace, because of who he is and what he's done, he makes it possible that as we worship him, as we give him our praise and adoration that is due his name, something happens in us as well. And he changes us by his Spirit. We become more fully alive. And the thing is, friends, this is not just something for an hour or two on a Sunday morning. This is about the orientation, the focus of your whole life. Every moment of it. So let me ask you a question. Are you a worshipper? Are you a worshipper of Jesus? Now, in John chapter 4, maybe you could turn with me to it, please. We have recorded for us a conversation between a Samaritan woman and Jesus. And in it, we find Jesus talking about what true worship really looks like. John chapter 4, if you'd like to find it in your Bible, please. We'll read some verses together. Those of you who are getting worried that I hadn't opened the Bible yet, it's okay, we got there in the end. John chapter 4, it's headed in my Bible, Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman. We don't have time to read it all, but take a look at verse 19 with me, we'll read from there. The woman's talking to Jesus and she says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's uh, bringing up an age-old argument between the Samaritans and the Jews. You could say she's throwing in a bit of a red herring, really, but this argument had been going on for years. Where was the right place to worship God? 
Jesus answers us like this in verse 21. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, Jesus says, and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You can imagine, can't you, the woman thinking, I wonder what he's going to say now. You know, your time is coming and is now to come when true worshippers will worship the Father in... Duh, duh, duh. She's thinking, well, what's she going to say? Is it Jerusalem? Is it, is it somewhere else? Is it Samaria? Is it you know, another place? She's, she's listening to his every word, thinking, well, what's the right place to go and worship? And Jesus says, it's not about place. The Father is after those who worship in spirit and truth. She's like, oh, that's different. That's not what she would have been expecting. She was expecting a geographic location. She was hoping she could open her A to Z, circle a particular place and say, that's the place where we worship. Jesus says, no, it's not about a particular place. It's about your heart. You worship in spirit and truth. And friends, the same is true today. It isn't about a particular place. It isn't about you have to go to a certain building at a certain time. What God looks at is not where you are. It's how you are. He looks at your heart. He's after worshippers in spirit and truth. And the same is true today as it was for the woman that Jesus spoke to all those years ago. You see, Jews and Samaritans would have argued endlessly over this point. But Jesus throws the argument out completely. It's not about place. It's about your heart. It's not where you worship, but how you worship. And by how, Jesus isn't getting into the issues that so often cause controversy, even in churches today. You know, should hands be raised or should they be down? Should you sit up or stand or sit up? Should you stand up or, or sit down? Should it be hymns or songs? Should it be participation or should it all be front legs? And lots of other endless questions that people ask about worship services today. Jesus isn't looking at those things. He's looking at your hearts. You know, the truth is you can worship Jesus in spirit and truth, whether you're singing a hymn or a song. Whether what was written was 200 years ago or two years ago. You can worship Jesus in spirit and truth whether you're sitting down or standing up. Because he looks at your heart. Now actually it might be your physical position that helps you engage. Especially in comfy chairs like this where it's easy just to sit back and go. That probably doesn't help us very much. But Jesus is looking at your heart. The Father, Jesus tells us, is after those who will worship in spirit and truth. So what does that mean, to worship in spirit and truth? What is to do with your heart? Has your heart been totally captivated by Jesus? 
And are you seeking to live your life in such a way that honors him? Are you coming to worship, seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit? Jesus said to his disciples, you'll see this if you read through the Gospels, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. Follow me. And Jesus says to us this morning the same thing. Follow me. Follow me. But if you're going to follow, if you're going to see where Jesus is going, then you need to stay close, don't you? Now, I might not look it, but I remember the days before mobile phones and before sat-navs. Some of you are sitting there thinking, was there a time before mobile phones? Well, yes, there was. Let me enlighten you as to what happens. In the olden days, before these electronic pocket devices to which you could communicate anywhere in the world, there were not these things. And I remember going out with friends, and maybe a few of us would drive, and the person in the, in the front car would say, I know where we're going. We're going to such and such a place, and I know how to get there. And the rest of us would say something like, okay, we'll follow you. Now, these days, if you were to do that, and you got lost on the way, it wouldn't be a problem. You could take out your phone. You might have Google Maps or similar. You could type in the location and see where you were and where you were going. Problem solved. Or it might be you could phone your friend in the car in front and say, how do you get there? What's the route we're going to take? But in the days before such wonderful technology existed, you couldn't do that. And the only way you could ensure the safe arrival at the same destination was this, to stay close to the car in front. And so there might be three or four or five cars all heading in the same direction and you would do your best to stay close to the car in front because they knew they could see the car in front of them who could see the car in front of them so you could see where you're going. Some of you are thinking, oh, I remember it like that. And others of you are thinking, what a strange world you used to live in. <laughs> but the issue is this, to get there safely you had to stay close. If you didn't, you'd get lost. And if you didn't stay close, if you were distracted on the journey, if you happened to pass a shop that had a sale on, you thought, oh, that looks interesting, I wonder what's going on there, and you suddenly miss the car ahead taking a turn, you wouldn't know what to do because you weren't staying close. Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to stay close to him. And see where he's going. Hear what he's saying to you. He's probably not going to shout at you. It'll probably be a quiet whisper going, come this way. Come this way. Go, go, go here. Friends, you need to stay close to him. And worship, true worship, will help you to stay close. Because it draws you to Jesus. So let me ask you, are you close to him this morning? Now, your answer might be an immediate, yes, yes, I am. And if that's your answer this morning, that's great, and I want to encourage you in that, to stay close. For most of us, however, if we're truthful, our answer is more likely to be sometimes, or perhaps mostly. Are you close to the Lord? Your answer might be sometimes. So what's the key? How do you move from sometimes or mostly 
to always. How do you do that? How do you make that jump? Well, I think the answer is the same whether you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years or five minutes. It's to do with your heart. It's to do with your heart. Has Jesus captivated your heart? Have you allowed him to become the object of your affection? Have you allowed him to mold your heart and fill it with his glory? As I was preparing this week, I think it was I think it was Wednesday evening, I was uh, sitting, uh, making some notes and praying and thinking about this morning. And I felt God speak to me quite clearly. And I felt that the Lord was calling us as a church to a new intimacy with him. And I knew that started because God was speaking to me. I knew it started with me. But I felt it was more than just what the Lord had for me. I felt it was to do with us. Together, I felt God was speaking to us, saying there's a new level to go in our worship. It's more than singing songs. It's more than hearing contributions. It's to do with intimacy with him. And I feel this applies to our personal times with the Lord, as well as our corporate times with him. So this was on Wednesday evening that I felt God speak to me quite clearly about this. And then on Thursday evening, I happened to be meeting with our worship leaders This had been in the diary for some time and was looking forward to getting together with them and worshipping together and encouraging them, I hoped. But I shared this with them and then we worshipped together. And uh, as we stood and sung and worshipped the Lord together, I felt we had such a great time. I felt God was so close to us in that moment. I felt it was a picture of what he wanted to do in the wider church. I think there's an invitation for us, friends. I think there are moments in God where God says something to us. There are moments in our walk with the Lord when we get an invitation to go deeper. There are moments when God speaks to us and invites us to go further in our relationship with him and he's looking for an answer from us. And friends, I feel like this is one of those moments. I feel there's a moment in God that he is speaking to us together in saying, follow me, stay close. There's more for you to experience. And I believe that God wants that for all of us. It's not just about me or our worship team, but rather I think it's for all of us. And again, let me underline, it's not just about Sunday mornings. I believe it will impact that, but it's about our walk with him. It's about our everyday life with him. I feel God has more for us. And I think this is true, friends, whether you've been walking with Jesus for five minutes or 50 years or somewhere in between. I honestly believe it. It feels like a moment in God where he's inviting us to respond. But I guess if we're honest, we probably have to say that there are times when the last thing we feel like doing is worshipping Jesus. There are times in our lives where really that's not on our radar. It's not on our agenda. And it's the last thing we feel like doing. So what do you do if you feel like that? Well, I think the first thing to do is be real and acknowledge it. Because we all have times like that. We all have times in our life where we think, that's just the last thing I really feel like doing. But listen to me. It's in those moments that the best thing you can do is to worship. When it's the last thing you feel like, it's the best thing you can do. 
one of my um, favorite Old Testament characters is a king called Jehoshaphat. Now, if you're of a certain age, you might remember a song about him by Don Francisco many moons ago. I found it on YouTube this week. I won't sing it to you, but maybe another time you'll get the pleasure of hearing it. But anyway, Jehoshaphat uh, was king of Judah. He was king for 25 years. And the Bible tells us that he wasn't perfect, but it does tell us this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It's a pretty good description, isn't it? 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And on one occasion, you may know the story, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Muonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. And 2 Chronicles chapter 20 records for us what happens. Jehoshaphat proclaims a fast for all the people, and he calls the people to seek God and ask him what they should do. And God speaks and gives instructions to Jehoshaphat through a prophet. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, we're told this. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Interesting, isn't it? The song we were singing earlier is a battle song. They went out at the head of the army, worship leaders first, right at the front. Dangerous job, isn't it, being a musician? Would have been in Jehoshaphat's time anyway. Right at the head of the army, leading the army out there, the worshippers singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they'd finished slaughtering the men from, from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So they ended up fighting each other. And the Lord wins the battle. It's a great story. It's a great account of God acting for his people. But do you notice that the worshippers went out first? And it was as they began to worship and praise and sing that God worked for them. It wasn't, let's be clear about this, it wasn't that God gave them the victory and then they worshipped. It was that they worshipped and then God gave them the victory. Do you see what happens there? It's as they worshipped and praised God, he acted for them. It was as they put their focus on God, not on their circumstance, that God acted and delivered them. How many of you have found that to be true in your own life? It's as you praise and as you worship the Lord that God does something. Now, it's not, I'm not saying it's not good to praise God and thank him for things. Of course it is. When God answers your prayer and he delivers you, it's right that you should thank him and praise him and worship you. But listen, what the worshippers did there was not as a result of what God was going to do. It was before he had acted. They were, they were being obedient to him. They were doing what God had said to do, and in doing so, God acted for them. Jehoshaphat led wisely in that moment. What was his response to a time of crisis? It was worship. It was worship. In Psalm 57, 
we find David writing a psalm. And if you look at Psalm 57, you'll, you'll, you'll see that the context of what he writes is when he was fleeing from Saul into a cave. So remember, Saul was after his life. He was after to destroy him. So things are not going well for David at this moment. And this psalm, Psalm 57, expresses that. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy for my soul. For in you my soul takes refuge. I cry out to God most high. You know, things are not going well for him. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, he describes. And he describes his situation. Not good. Saul's after him, looking to kill him. But then in verse 7, there's a twist. And David says this, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. And then in verse 8, it's like he speaks to himself because he says, Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. And it's like David looks at the situation he finds himself in. He's very real about it. He doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. He describes it quite accurately. But then he makes a statement. And you can imagine David making this statement to himself as much as anybody else and to the Lord. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. And it's like he's talking to himself saying, come on, soul, wake up and praise God. Even in the midst of quite awful, terrible situations when Saul is after his life. And if he'd found him, he would have killed him. Isn't it interesting, even David had to tell himself to worship. We imagine David is a great worshipper of the Old Testament, and indeed he was. But even he had to tell himself, like, come on, we're going to worship God now. And sometimes, friends, we have to make those decisions. It's not about being unreal. David wasn't unreal. He was very real. He described how Saul was after his life. It's about being real and then putting God where God should be. Right at the center, number one spot. And even in that moment, if you don't feel like worshiping, to make a decision and a choice to worship the Lord. And as we saw with Jehoshaphat, it was in that moment after that decision and choice had been made that God acted for his people. And all this has as much to do with Monday morning as Sunday morning. We can think too quickly, oh, Graham, you're just talking about worship on Sunday morning. Well, it includes that, but it's not just about that. It's about as much of what you do tomorrow as it is today because it's about the priority of God in your life throughout the week not just on a Sunday morning in fact if God hasn't got the priority in your life throughout the week how can you stand and sing to the Lord on a Sunday that's not consistent is it for all of us me included the challenge is for God to be central to all of our life all of the time and that leads us nicely to thinking about all of our life as worship. Paul says in Romans 12 that the way we live our life is worship. And I guess that's both good news and bad news, depending how you live. 
But actually, everything you do is worship. How you live shows what's really important to you. Paul talks about a living sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, the people of God offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Normally a dead animal. But Paul is saying, now that you offer God a living sacrifice, and it's you. You're the sacrifice that you offer to God. So the way you live your life, the way you study, the way you party, the way you work, the way you relax, can all be done to the glory of God as worship. And loving God, worshipping him, means following him in obedience, dedication, giving him the very best of our lives, giving him our time, our energy, even our money. It's all worship, isn't it? Everything we do is worship. Now, I've talked mainly of our personal worship of Jesus. But before we finish, and I'm going to close in a moment, let me comment briefly on our worship together, our corporate times together. I want to look more closely at this on another occasion, so I'm not going to get into it in detail this morning. But just for the moment, let me say this. Worship is so central to who we are as a church. It's so central to who we are as a company of believers. Our first value as Jubilee is to be a church that is loving God. It's right up there. It's number one. It's the most important thing. And sometimes we talk about our values of word and spirit. So you want to be a, a church that values God's words. That takes it seriously, that reads it, studies it, preaches it faithfully. But as well as that, we want to be a church that encounters God by his Spirit and enjoys life in the Holy Spirit and all that God has for us in that. And so it's Word and Spirit. It's not one or the other. You see, I know lots of churches that major on one or the other. I can think of a whole bunch of churches that major on words. There isn't much encountering the living God. And I can think of other churches I know that do a whole bunch of encountering the living God and, and worship is wonderful time, but then there's never any time to preach God's words. Friends, I don't think it's about which one you want to go for. It's both and. And I think actually that going for either extreme falls short of what God really has for us. Because one should lead to the other. Think about it for a moment. If we faithfully preach this book and preach the living word, then that should lead us to worship and encountering God together, shouldn't it? And as we do that, as we worship and we encounter God together, as we receive his spirit, that should make us desire a greater understanding of him that we find in his word. And so as we get back into his word, and we get a greater understanding of him, that, that draws us again to worship. And so and then as we worship, we think, oh, I want, to, I want to find out more. I want to read more about this God I'm encountering. It brings us back to this book. You see, it's like a circle. One leads to the other. There's not two ends of an extreme thing. Where do we fit in the middle? Are you sort of here or not over there or not over there? And it's not about that. It's about both and. It's like one leads to the other. And as we worship, then that should draw us to knowing the living word more through his word, the written word. As we study God's written word, that should draw us again to worship and encounter Jesus in the presence of his spirit.
Does that make sense? So as we gather on a Sunday morning and in other contexts, we need to remember this. Corporate worship flows out of personal worship. So we can often think of it the other way around. We can come to Sunday morning thinking, I need my top up. I need my, need my fix of, of worship for the week. Now, I understand that gathering with others does something to us. Of course it does. We get lifted by one another as we worship the Lord. But it's not meant to replace personal worship, personal devotion to Jesus. If we come to corporate times of worship, having been filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit, then we come alive, ready to encounter God together. And that's far more dynamic, far more engaging than just gathering to get back to where we were last Sunday. We have to move past that point. I want to encourage us, friends, to be eager to move past that point and to encounter God and all that he has for us in his spirit. When we come back to looking at this subject again later in the term, we'll look at what our worship meeting should look like and, and why. We'll look at how you can participate rather than spectate. We'll look at how your focus can be coming to give rather than coming to receive. And in that context, we'll look at the place of spiritual gifts and contributions and how we fit those into what we do together. But that's all for another morning. So if the band can come back up, please, let me finish by asking you a couple of questions. What's your take-home from this morning? What's your take-home from this message? What's your action going to be? What might you change in your mind or thinking or practice this week? How will you stay close to Jesus in the week ahead? And how will you encourage others to stay close to him as well? Let me close by reading a passage of scripture to us that should stir us to worship and show us that God really is worthy of all our praise. Can we stand together? Now let me pray first and I'm going to read this passage to us and then Naomi and the band are going to lead us. Uh, I felt it would be good to go back into worship. Having talked about it, I think our opportunity now is to express something of our worship to the Lord. And uh, we've got a little bit of time, we're going to do that, and maybe some context to pray for one another in that. But I felt we couldn't preach on worship and then not have an opportunity to worship. So that's why we've changed this morning around a little bit. But let's pray, and I'm going to read some scripture to us after that. Lord Jesus, we want to say to you this morning that we want to stay close to you. We thank you for your invitation to us. We thank you that you draw us to yourself. We thank you that uh, you desire our worship. And that we want to say this morning that worship is all for you. As we look to you, we declare it's all about your goodness and your glory. And we want to worship you and thank you for all that you've done in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that as we do that, you do even more in our life. 
And so we pray this morning that you would help us to stay close to Jesus. Help us to stay close to you, Lord. Would you be the very center of our lives? And Father, we pray that our times of worship together would be fueled and come out of our times of worship personally. Jesus, our heart is that you might be glorified in our lives personally, that you might be glorified in this, your church, Lord, as well as this city and the nation, and indeed the nations. So, Lord, be lifted up, be exalted on the praise of your people, and help us, Lord, to have hearts that are totally captivated by you. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.